be reading this morning from Genesis chapter 16, first book in your Bible, Genesis, 16th chapter, and we'll read the whole chapter, it's not a long one, Genesis chapter 16, starting verse number 1, so I'll give you a minute to find it. If you don't have a Bible today and you want to follow along, and I always encourage that, there's one there in front of you in the seat, I encourage you to follow along. How do you know what I'm reading from up here? Might be reading from the newspaper. Might be reading from Harry Potter up here. How do you know what I'm reading? You need to be holding me, keeping me accountable and uh, following along in your copy of the Scripture. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please, Go into my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in your eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? And where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man, his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Beer Lahairoi. Observe it is between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these stories in the Old Testament that teach us so much and have so much application to us. I pray today as we look at this and study this that you'll speak to our hearts. I pray that we'll be encouraged and strengthened. And I pray that if there are those without Christ, that they'll hear the gospel in here. The Holy Spirit will apply it to their heart, and that it would bear, bear fruit, and Lord, they'd be saved. Whatever the needs are, Lord, I, I pray you'd work. I pray you'd work in my heart. As you've worked in the study, I pray you'd work now as, as I preach. Help me, Father, say only what I should and nothing more. Fill me with your Spirit, I pray. Uh, just uh, let nobody even remember I was here today, but I pray they hear the Word of God today and respond to it. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. How about we start this morning with a Star Trek story? Would that be good? Star Trek story. 
One particular scene in Star Trek The Next Generation, which, by the way, is the best of all the Star Treks. Star Trek The Next Generation, there is a scene where Lieutenant Commander Data is conversing with uh, Dr. Catherine Pulaski. And as they are conversing, she continues to mispronounce his name. She keeps calling him Data. And every time she calls him Data, he corrects her and says, no, it's Data. And so finally, in exasperation, she says, what is the difference? And he says, one is my name, and the other is not. Names are important, aren't they? They're important. A fellow by the name of Paul Dixon wrote a book all about names. It was entitled, What's in a Name? And he shared some of the most unusual names that he had come across. And I'm wondering, as I came across this illustration, I wonder how old this book is, because I've heard some names that are far worse than some of these in our culture today. But uh, here's some of the names that he listed, uh, which he thought were pretty strange. He came across a fellow by the name of Cletus Clodfelter. That's a good one, Cletus Clodfelter. He came across one named Rotten Earp. Now, what kind of a parent would name their son Rotten? But rotten herb. Jingle Bells Kaplan was one. Boompa Umfumpa was one. I like that one. Hey, Boompa. He also wrote in there that some people seemed destined to, uh, uh, it was almost prophetic, whatever their name was, uh, spoke to what they were going to be later in life. And I saw some of them were pretty funny. There was a fellow by the name of Joe Bunt, who became a baseball coach. There was a fellow by the name of Dan Druff who became a barber. Now, that one is just insane. Dan Druff became a barber. Two men with the last names of Goforth and Ketchum actually became partners in a police force. And he came, he came across one guy who was a plaster contractor, put plaster up. His name was Will Crumble. Not, not going to inspire confidence. There's a lot of names in the Bible. And names are important. And there's a lot of names for God in the Bible. Now, just a few that, that, that I've listed down here. He is Elohim, the very first reference to God's name. In the beginning, God, Elohim, El Shaddai. He is Jehovah Jireh, means the Lord will provide. He is Jehovah Nissi, the Lord my banner. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord sent peace. He is Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. And Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. He is God the Father, eternal God, Father of lights, heavenly Father, the Holy One of Israel. He is the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of lords, the Lord of Sabbath, and the Most High. He is I Am. When Moses asked him his name, he said, I Am. Well, here in our text today, the story of Hagar, we have a name for God that I want to just continue for a few minutes, or consider for a few minutes this morning. And that is the name El-Rohi, transliterated or translated in our Bible as you are the God who sees. El-Rohi, the God who sees. Let's look at this two different ways this morning. First of all, let's look at the back story. Let's understand what's going on here. And then let's look at the moral of the story and make a little bit of application. And uh, then we'll be done. First of all, the back story. There's five characters, basically, that we read about in this chapter, Genesis chapter 16. There's Abram. There's Sarai, his wife. There's Hagar, who was Sarai's maid or servant. There's Ishmael, who uh, I mentioned him as being in this chapter, but he's not born yet. He's the yet-to-be-born child. 
resulting from the union of Abram and Hagar. And then there's the angel of the Lord. Five characters. God had made a covenant with Abram. We read about that back in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God had made a covenant with him. God had told Abram that he would make him into a great nation. In Genesis chapter 13 and verse 16, he had promised him, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Now, no doubt, Abram, when he heard these promises, had a couple of reactions. And one of those reactions had to be worship and praise and thanksgiving, right? I mean, to hear God make a promise like that to you, you would, you would certainly have a, an attitude of worship that would come from that. But there had to be another reaction as well. He must have doubted how in the world this was going to happen. I mean, after all, Sarai, his beloved wife, was unable to have even one child, let alone to be able to have innumerable uh, descendants uh, as the dust of the earth. Well, Sarai heard these same promises, and she took another tack. She decided that she needed to help God out a bit and move things along. Unable, maybe, unwilling, maybe, to wait for him to fulfill his promise in his own time, she suggested a different solution. She suggested that since she was barren, unable to conceive, Abram should sleep with her servant Hagar, who would then bear a child in her stead. A surrogate mother, if you will. It's customary in this culture to do this sort of thing. In our culture today, that seems repugnant to us, but in in that culture of the day, it it was not an unexpected thing. But one thing I want to make sure you understand is there's nothing in the Bible that condones what's going on here. There's nothing in this story that condones it. There's nothing anywhere in Scripture that condones what was taking place. It's merely reporting that it took place. Sarah took matters into her own hands and uh, gave her maid into into, uh, Abram's bosom. Uh, Nothing in the account indicates God wanted Abram and Hagar to have such a relationship. It merely reports that they did. It tells what God did then as a result of what they did. You know, I think too often we assume that because the Bible reports something, it condones that. I hear people all the time say things, you know, for example, about slavery. The Bible, the Bible teaches slavery. No, the Bible reports slavery. It doesn't condone it. It reports it. And, and various other things like that. To say that just because the Bible reports a thing, it condones it is like saying because an editor of a newspaper reports a mass murder, he condones mass murder. It's not true. So here we have, uh, this situation has taken place. Sarah has uh, given Hagar to Abram. The relationship occurred, and Hagar conceived a child. Now, apparently, Hagar then considered herself superior to her mistress, to Sarai, and she must have looked down on her as a result. We see that in verse number 4. Sarai didn't like that. She got upset about that, took it out on her husband is what ladies do sometimes, wives do. Took it out on poor Abram. And so he said, all right, do with, do with her whatever you want to do. And she said, I want her out of here. And so she uh, treated her hard and, and she fled. Hagar ran away. And here's the interesting thing. When Hagar ran away, she met someone. 
she met someone referred to here in the Bible as the angel of the Lord in verse number 7. Now, we're in our Sunday school class, in, the, in my class here in the auditorium. We're talking about angels right now, and we just mentioned this this morning, this, this matter of the angel of the Lord. It's an interesting phrase in the Bible. There are angels that are talked about in the Bible, but then there is also this, uh, this being referred to oftentimes as the angel of the Lord. And I believe, as, as do an awful lot of Bible scholars, that whenever you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, with a definite article, the it's not just referring to an angel like we would think. It's referring very specifically to a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Jesus who appeared there in the form of this, this angel of the Lord. When you see an indefinite article, an angel, well, that's different. That's just an angel. But this was referring to, I believe, Jesus Christ. And so here's what happened. Hagar runs away, and what does she do? She meets Jesus along the way. The angel of the Lord by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur, verse number 7. And I find it fascinating what took place in this meeting. As I read this this week, I, I, just, I, I found it fascinating what, what happened here when she met the angel of the Lord. The scripture says in verse number 7, number 1, that he found her. He found her. She wasn't seeking him. He was seeking her. She wasn't looking for him. He was looking for her. He didn't, she didn't find him. He found her. He knew right where she was and found her. That's one thing that I found interesting. I also found it interesting in verse number eight that he asked her about her situation. Did you notice that? He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Did he not know if he's the angel of the Lord? He didn't ask this question because he was unaware. If the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ, he knew exactly where she was coming from. He knew exactly where she was going. He knew everything that there was to know about her, just like he knows all there is to know about you. He's God. He's omniscient. He didn't need her to explain it to him. Rather, I think what was happening here is he wanted her to admit it. I think he wanted her to articulate her problem and her need to him, just like he wants us to do that. He wants us to confess our sin, to admit our need, to repent, to call upon Him, to seek His salvation. Uh, he wants the same thing from us. And so he asked her about her situation. And then in verse number 9, he instructed her to stay the course. He said, go back to Sarah. Submit to her. She's been abusing me, slapping me around maybe, calling me names, treating me poorly. I don't know what she was doing. God said, the angel of the Lord said, go back and submit. Now, I find that interesting. I find it interesting that he didn't remove the hardship from her, but told her to just go back and keep on, keeping on in that hard situation. And then finally, in verses 10 through 12, he promised her that everything would turn out all right for her and her unborn child. In the end, there's a wonderful promise there given about her son who would be named Ishmael and and, and how God would use him in, in mighty ways in the future as well. And so he promised her everything was going to be okay. And then we come to verse 13 and we see Hagar's response to this. Notice, notice her response in verse number 13. As she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him? Who sees me? She recognized, first of all, she was speaking to God. She didn't look at this as just an angel. She knew this was the Lord. She understood that. And she understood that God had seen her need and met it. Even though he was telling her to go back. Initially, she no doubt would have not thought that was meeting her need. She wanted the need removed. But he sent her back 
And now she recognizes that he did indeed meet that need. And then she referred to a God, to God by a name. El Rohi, you are the God who sees. So that's the story. Let's try and apply that to ourselves just a little bit this morning because I think there's a moral to this story. I want to, I want to make an application especially out of that last little bit, the name she gave to God. You are the God who sees. That is what El Rohi means. God who sees. So I want you to think about that. No matter who you are. No matter where, where you are in your life. No matter what you're going through. God sees you. He sees you. And the fact is, we all have things that we're going through. If not right now, we certainly will tomorrow. Or somewhere down the future, we go through things. I mentioned earlier in, 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 in my prayer that there's just some folks that are going through some really difficult times right now. Some are going through some pretty hard stuff. Some of you in this room no doubt going through some pretty hard stuff. And, and, and you know, we could, we could look at it in a couple of different ways. Sometimes the fact is we're going through hard stuff and it's perfectly deserved. It's perfectly uh, explainable. We know we've made stupid choices. We've done things. We've gone against what God is telling us to do. And so we understand that. But sometimes, sometimes it seems completely undeserved. Unexplainable. Hagar might be an example of the latter. Yeah, she might have lipped off to Sarai a little bit. I don't know. But that was the extent of it. And here she was, uh, running, fleeing. Um, completely unexplainable why she was going through what she was going through. Some of us are like that. But regardless of why, whether we think we deserve it or not, regardless of why we find ourselves facing difficulties, we find ourselves standing at the precipice of a, of a valley that stretches out before us with seemingly no end, of a mountain that rises into the sky and we can't figure out how in the world we're ever going to scale it. I mean, sometimes we just we feel like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who in Second Corinthians said he was troubled on every side. You ever feel like that? Or maybe like Jacob. When his sons came to him one day, he said, all these things are against me. You ever feel like that? You ever been there? And have you ever felt like Hagar here, fleeing the situation and just running away to try to get away from it? If that's the case with anybody in this room today, and I'm sure it is, then you just need to read this account again. You need to notice some truths. You need to notice, first of all, that just as Jesus found her, he will find you. And I'm talking to Christians right now. Christians. Christian, if, if you're here this morning, if you're born again, if you're one of the redeemed, if you're one of the children of God because you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, He will find you. You cannot run far enough away from God to escape Him. Jonah tried that, by the way. He ran as far geographically as the map would let him run. And yet God found him and turned him around. The psalmist said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings in the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. He said, if I run up, if I run down, if I run east, if I run west, no matter where I run, I cannot run far enough to get away from you. Wherever you run, Christian, he will find you. And you know what he'll do? He'll ask you what you're doing there. He'll ask you what you're doing there. Not because he doesn't know, 
but because he's going to need you to admit what you're running from. Confess what you're running from. Repent of it. He found her, and he'll find you. You might have thought his answer to Hagar was harsh. Go back and, and submit to Sarai, your, your mistress, your master. And oftentimes God's answer to us is that. It feels similarly heartless. We're in the middle of running from something. And we expect God to say, I'm going to take that away. And he says, go back and just keep right on doing what you were doing. Whatever you were struggling with, go back and submit to it. Keep on climbing that mountain or sliding into that pit or, or crossing that valley. Go back and submit to whatever it was that was there. And the fact is, many of our trials and troubles, God wants us to experience. We need to go through those troubles. He doesn't want to take us out of them. He put us in them for a purpose. And He wants us to go through them. I'm reminded of the old Gaither song. It's been sung here before. When I saw what lay before me, Lord, I cried, what will you do? I thought he would just remove it. But he gently led me through. Without fire, there's no refining. Without pain, no relief. Without flood, there's no rescue. Without testing, no belief. Through the fire, through the flood, through the water, through the blood, through the dry and barren places, through life's dense and maddening mazes, through the pain and through the glory, through will always tell the story of the God whose power and mercy will not fail to take us through. Sometimes He wants us to go back and go through. He needs us to go back and go through. God could have saved Noah from the flood any number of ways. But he's chose to have him labor in public ridicule for a hundred years building an ark. God could have used Joseph to rescue his people from famine any number of ways. But he chose to have him suffer betrayal and kidnapping and false accusation and imprisonment along the way. God could have kept Daniel from the lion's den. Or Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego from the fire, but he didn't. God could have given Jeremiah a much more fulfilling ministry than to preach to a bunch of people who would never listen to him and to watch his people sin themselves into captivity, but he didn't. In our day and age, God could have kept someone like Johnny Erickson Tata from her paralysis. He could have rescued her from that. He could have healed her of that. But instead, for the many years since she was paralyzed in 1967, he has used her from a wheelchair. No doubt many times she prayed for healing. I've heard her say that many times she prayed for healing. God said, no. Same as Sahara. It's Hagar. Go back and submit. When I was going through the darkest, darkest moments of my life when the Lord took Beth home, I was encouraged by a brother's words who said, never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. I've never, I've never gotten away from that. That promise has stayed with me ever since those dark days. And years later, just recently, I read something similar in a book by Don Whitney. It said, never give up in the desert. You don't know how wide it is. And you may be almost across. And so here's the moral of the story. No matter what you're going through, no matter what he asks you to go through, it's best. God's ways are always, always, always best. He has your best in mind. He doesn't seek what is good for you. He seeks what is best for you. And if he has you going through something, it's because he knows what's best for you and what will lead you to his best for you. I love quotes by Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot was the wife of Jim Elliot, one of the five who were martyred uh, 
some years ago, trying to reach some a tribe in the Amazon. Elizabeth Elliot said, To love God is to love His will. It is to be content with His timing and wise appointment. She said, I am not a theologian or a scholar, but I am very aware of the fact that pain is necessary to all of us. In my own life, I think I can honestly say that out of the deepest pain has come the strongest conviction of the presence of God and the love of God. Spurgeon said, we have been in many trials, but we have never yet been cast where we could not find in our God all that we needed. There's a lot of pain in this church right now. Just recently, I was informed that our sister Marilyn Molnar has been placed on hospice. Her cancer treatment was unsuccessful. So now her daughter Heather is heartbroken. Our sister Eleanor Jones seems to be in a similar situation. Her husband Don, heartbroken. In recent days, we've seen many uh, going through difficult things. We've seen divorce run its painful course through our congregation. My mother, just this week, Diagnosed terminal cancer. Two months, maybe, to live. Lots of pain. Perhaps you're in the midst of some of it. I want you to look at verse 13. And I want you to know this, brothers and sisters. He sees you. He sees you. I love that Hagar understood that. Her take from all of this was that God had seen her. He saw where she was and he found her. He saw her. He knew her situation and what she was going through. And and he knew that she needed to go through it. He saw her. He had a plan for her future which was glorious and wonderful. He promised her a future that was filled with hope. Once she got through the trial, he saw her. John Newton, who we most normally remember as the person who wrote Amazing Grace. He said so many other good things. He said, everything is necessary that God sends our way. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. When you get to heaven, you will not complain of the way by which the Lord brought you. What a great quote. When you get to heaven, you will not complain of the way by which the Lord brought you. Christians, brothers and sisters, and that's who I'm talking about so far to this morning, so far at least. Those of you who are saved, who, who, who are born again, you need to believe afresh this morning that the God who saved you sees you. You need, like, you need to be like Hagar and call him by his name. You, God, who sees me. You are the God who sees me. And you need to trust him to get you through. He sees you. There's, of course, another application. And that application is to those who may not be in that group, maybe haven't trusted Christ. Is that you? Have you never yet trusted Christ? Are you still wandering around in the wilderness, wondering about that? Wondering whether you go to heaven someday, wondering if the day comes when somebody says, your time is up, hospice is all that's left of you, that you'll be ready to make it to heaven? Have you heard the gospel but not yet responded? Do you wonder whether or not what Jesus did on the cross applies to you? I can think of another song, another gospel song that comes to mind. It says, I'm not on an ego trip. I'm nothing on my own. I make mistakes. I often slip. I'm just common flesh and bone. That I'll prove someday just why I say that I'm of a special kind. For when he was on the cross, 
I was on his mind. Oh, a look of love was on his face, and thorns were on his head. Blood was on his scarlet robe, stained with crimson red. Though his eyes were on the crowd that day, he looked ahead in time. For when he was on that cross, you see, I was on his mind. He knew me, yet he loved me. He whose glory makes the heavens shine, so unworthy of such mercy, yet when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He sees you. My lost friend, he sees you. You need to turn to him. You need to trust him. You need to receive him. He sees you. I just finished watching a a very interesting series of programs entitled The Chosen. I've mentioned it to some of you. It's a series, a crowd-funded thing that's being done, uh, trying to develop a whole series of programs about the life of Christ. And they've done eight of them so far, and they're very interesting. I just finished watching one, and one of the the things that was uh, depicted in that was the time Jesus met with the woman at the well. John chapter 4. And of course... The conversation basically follows what, what is depicted there in that chapter, but also there's some literary license taken as they try to fill in the blanks and, and try to build it up into something that would translate to the screen. And so there's a couple of things in there that were added. And one of the things that was added is there was a moment where the woman at the well was looking at the Messiah. He had now introduced himself to her as the Messiah. He had said, I that am speaking to you am he. And she looked at him with tears on her face and she said something about how all that I've done and everything that I am and all that I have in my past and all of my sin. How could the Messiah care about me? And Jesus stood up and he leaned in real close to her and he got right in her face. And he said, I see you. I see you. Do you get it, friend? He sees you. If you're saved and you're going through trials... He sees you. If you're lost, He sees you. Tozer said, Jesus Christ knows the worst about you. Nonetheless, He is the one who loves you the most. You are never out of His sight, nor are you ever away from His care. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen Him who sees me? Wherever you are, whatever is going on in your life, sees 